Hello, and welcome to A Health Podacy. Just saying a pediatric network works great isn't really new, but saying how it was set up and what the hurdles have been and where the effort needs to go and where the pain points are, that's really interesting. I'm your host, Alan Weil. Today, we're talking about improving the quality of care for children. How do you take a good idea, like screening children, to see if they're on a healthy developmental trajectory, and get that good idea adopted by thousands of small, separate pediatric practices spread across a state or the entire country? The answer is collaboration and leadership, pulling together individual clinicians, health systems, payers, and government agencies to figure out how to make lasting change. I'll be talking with Rebecca Gale, a journalist and author based in the Washington, D.C. area, who wrote an article in the October 2020 issue of Health Affairs for our Leading to Health series. That series focuses on transforming health systems and is published with support from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Rebecca profiled VCHIP, the Vermont Child Health Improvement Program, and explains how their approach has spread around the country. Rebecca, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. Your article tells the story of VCHIP, the Vermont Children's Health Improvement Program. Tell us a little bit about VCHIP. What has it accomplished? Well, VCHIP is an example of innovation at a state level where they're trying to improve outcome for children's health. And the thing about children's health, which is really interesting, is that when you dedicate resources and you dedicate some sort of organizational effort, you can really make a significant difference that can be realized for many years. The problem, of course, is that these cost savings and these results aren't seen right away. So you get sort of a long-term mega effect, but short-term, not very much. So these state-centered approaches for improving child health care often need to have a big leap of faith from the state to be invested in. And Vermont, for a variety of reasons, has that. You know, in, in the article I wrote, I talked a lot about why Vermont was a unique case. Some of it is the size. Some of it is, you know, uh, the population centers um, aren't as diverse as other states. What's happened is they have this centralized medical school. And through the medical school, they run the VCHIP program. And it's been around for about 20 years. So they can really show results. Because as we've seen with a lot of these major healthcare programs, showing results is a struggle. Even when the experts on these programs know that they're working, they still don't necessarily have the ability to show it to like a journalist like myself who wants to write about it. But VCHIP does. VCHIP's been able to really document the changes they've made. And there are, you know, a lot been written about this in public health. I don't really delve into this in my story, but it's been written before about the things that happen in children's health care, such as immunization, such as well visits, that you see significant positive health care savings down the line. This is a quality improvement collaborative. It's voluntary. The organization itself is pretty modest in size, right? So the program, that's a great question. The program essentially connects all the pediatricians and the family practitioners who see children um, within the state, and they then sort of connect on their metrics. They sort of come up with goals that they want them to achieve, which are things like more well visits, better immunization rates, better compliance for national guidelines for things for chronic conditions such as asthma. And you see asthma a lot in a lot of pediatric care programs because asthma translates, um, well-treated asthma translates into major savings from emergency department visits. So that is an often a repeat there. 
So they connect with all these pediatricians and they have these programs. They offer services like these um, audits of pediatric records. So they can see if these offices are saying, oh, we're doing all our immunization rates. Oh, we're screening for adolescent depression. Well, they can say, you know, we looked at your records and you're, you know, you are doing what you say or you aren't doing what you think you're doing as well. And they'll give them metrics to approve upon. And then by creating this network within the state, they're able to disseminate information more quickly, which of course was a huge help when COVID-19 started. And all of a sudden in Vermont, all the pediatricians were connected. They thought it was a major cost saver and time saver for pediatricians not trying to call the Department of Health and overwhelming them, but by having these, I think they had thrice weekly calls. So they've essentially created a network in a network, it's a voluntary network, and these pediatric practices receive these services in return. And um, they also can take on projects from payers or providers in the sense that like a hospital or an insurance company that wants to see an outcome, they can go through VCHIP to sort of to um, implement these programs and projects. And you're seeing this again with things like asthma, you are seeing it with immunizations. Again, these are the big ones that keep coming on. Um, and because they were able to really connect these providers and keep them on the same page, they're able to show success in these metrics, which in which is a very big deal in healthcare right now. You describe a situation where it takes a lot of time to see improvement. It takes a lot of time to build networks. With children, as you noted, it takes time to show results. How were the stakeholders in this situation patient enough to stick with these efforts in a world where people want results right away? Yes, it's run out of the Department of Health. It is very modest and very nimble. That's also probably why it is able to be successful. Like the woman, Judy Shaw, who I interviewed, has been there, I, I think, for two decades, for quite a long time, since it's, it, if not since its inception, then right after. Um, so they have this continuity of care and these programs that have been around for a long time. That's part of it too. You know, I spoke with some of these people who've been involved speaking to pediatric practices. They've been doing this for 15 years. That's a long time, especially in the healthcare, which can be a volatile field in terms of turnover and changing, and when, especially when you have a state um, state-centered program. So that's part of VCHIP's success. And then once the program can show success, it's much easier to be able to then expand your network to include everybody in the state, all the corners, the rural corners, the people who you know maybe were, were skeptical. I think uh, Barbara Frankowski, one of the women I interviewed, told me a story of a provider who didn't want to be part of a network who's since retired. So you have these new um, pediatric providers coming in who are more open to this and they really see these groups as being able to share information in really practical ways and they have more investment and trust into it. And they also, you're seeing a generational shift again with the importance of metrics. It's one thing to say you think a program's working or you think your pediatric office is providing good care. It's another to have, you know, quantifiable metrics that you're using. You can show your immunization rates. You can show your screening rates. And when you do that, when you show whether whether you're trying to improve an existing rate or you're trying to just maintain a very strong one, that that's really powerful information. And VCHIP has found that the pediatric providers appreciate this. You've mentioned Judy Shaw. Your article opens with a story of her working with stakeholders in Alabama, a state very different from Vermont. And you've just described some of the conditions in Vermont that make VCHIP successful. What did Judy learn and what did you learn from her attempts to translate the success they had in Vermont to a similar effort in Alabama? 
That is a great question. So there's sort of two parts to that piece of it. Um, the results piece, again, is more of a leap of faith. And Judy Shah told me that part of this is insurance companies don't pay a lot of attention to children's health for that exact reason. It's not as expensive as adult health. If you can you know, tackle adult diabetes, that's much different than giving children you know, flu shots, for instance. Um, so they've had to play the long game to sort of show any sort of savings. And they were willing to do that. Um, part of it, again, is Vermont has a different culture. One of the things that I talked about in my article extensively, which I think is fascinating and it was really interesting in my reporting, was that Vermont, Vermont has this very expanded Medicaid eligibility level, which is 300% of the pe- federal poverty level for families with children. That is significant. So that means they have a nearly all the children in their state are covered by either state uh, public insurance or private insurance. So all of their pediatricians take public insurance. It's not something you see everywhere, particularly in affluent communities where a lot of people have private coverage and then the pediatricians want to go to families they consider more profitable or desirable. Certainly not all of them, but that's, that's an issue. Not all, not all doctors take um, Medicaid. But in Vermont, it's a very different culture from the beginning. If you're going to be a physician in Vermont and see patients, you are going to have to take Medicaid. And if you are a family in Vermont, at 300% of the poverty level, your children will likely have decent coverage that pediatricians can take. So already there, there's a shift in state culture as to what the state is going to provide in terms of healthcare. But larger than that is that the network has grown because of just, you know, boots on the ground. These doctors went door to door, not door to door, practice to practice. They would come, they would bring lunch, they would visit, they'd find a time. And they they spoke about how they weren't just going to speak to one doctor, they wanted to speak to the whole practice. They were very aware that things like such as adolescent screening for depression, which was another big project BCHIP did, they had to have the whole office on board. One of the major things for adolescent depression screening is that Adolescents need to do this away from their parents. They can't have their parents that fill out the form with the adolescent there. They're not going to necessarily get these truthful answers. So how could they set up a chance for the doctor to talk to the adolescent or screen the adolescent without the parents present, without sort of creating this conflict? So these sorts of things, this way that they're willing to travel up and down the state. And again, they did say like having a small state makes that easier. They can drive up and back in a day. You know, for a, a different health affairs story on the same leading to um, health series, we looked at Delaware, who was trying to basically create a similar network. They had slightly different goals, but they were in the process of creating this network, and it was taking them a long time. I mean, these are people with busy schedules on both sides, the people who are going to do the visit and the pediatricians who are waiting to have the visitors. It was hard to schedule. It was hard to meet with them. And then when you had you know, the 40-minute lunch break and you brought in your sandwiches, you had to be as quick as possible. And of course, you know, things are paused now and people aren't doing in-person visits the way they were. And we're not sure when that's going to come back. But again, you have to take that time. You have to go around and you need to be working in, in, a, in an organization or a hospital or a health system that wants to give you that time and support with the idea being that you'll see these results much further down the line. I gather it's not really taking Vermont's approach to Alabama. It's taking some of the concepts and structures. It's not saying, oh, we're just going to ship this solution from New England down to the South. 
It was interesting when I talked to Judy Shaw about it because this was her example of how programs like VChips can work other places. And there is a network that VChip is part of to basically try and do this exact thing that Shaw did. You go other places and you speak about the success of VChip. And Alabama, as as you know, culturally very different than Vermont, very different population, very different health challenges. But they found a willing partner at the hospital center with the, they also had the state insurer there. And because Vermont had results that the state thought would be, that people from Alabama thought would also be very helpful there, they were willing to give it a try. And when I spoke with Kaysen Benton from Alabama, she was very enthusiastic as the progress they've made. Again, they this is new for Alabama. They're not going to have the results VCHIP had just yet. But you're seeing more of an interest from states into investing in children's health, even if it doesn't show immediate economic returns, because they know it's a longer term um, method. And you also, when the state becomes, when the state insurance has a prominent role to play, which I believe in Alabama is sim- is, is also there, um, there's more of a willingness to be part of it. Because if the state is the insurer, they want to keep kids going to well visits and out of the emergency room. Like there's an economic incentive there. It's not necessarily as large as adult health. And that is probably something that we'll, we'll continue to see for almost every aspect of healthcare, but it's still significant savings. And if you have a state government that wants to invest in children's health, programs like this is are a really good way to start. And they last for a long time. Once those relationships are in place, once you have an organization, whether it's HEA in Alabama or VCHIP in Vermont, the pediatric providers, if they have faith in these organizations, that's a relationship that'll be very valuable. I think um, people with VCHIP are available to offer guidance for that exact reason. So I know when HEA in Alabama was being set up, they relied on VCHIP for some help because these, these are hard organizations to build from scratch. You see that in any public policy initiative that it's one thing to continue a system that's already running and it's very different to start something new. And it's helpful to have an idea of the costs and the time and best practices and this network that VCHIP is part of can help do that. We're going to go to a quick break. Before hitting the floors of Congress, health policy begins in the pages of Health Affairs. Stay up to date with the latest research and insights by subscribing to the leading peer-reviewed health policy journal today. As a nonpartisan forum, Health Affairs addresses today's leading issues in healthcare. Look at the articles from our October issue. Janet Curry explains why the U.S. underinvests in child health, while Dolores Acevedo-Garcia explores community-level health equity opportunity gaps. By subscribing, not only do you have access to more than 30 years of health affairs back catalog, but also access to a head of print articles. Subscribe by visiting our website at www.healthaffairs.org. Health Affairs may be the leading health policy journal, but did you know we also send a daily newsletter? Sign up for Health Affairs today to catch our daily roundup of news, analysis, and commentary. Topics range from designing value-based payment systems to the latest on COVID-19. And it's free. Head to www.healthaffairs.org and click Newsletter Sign Up in the menu to join the premier health policy community. Welcome back. I want to talk a little bit about your part in this story. You've written for the Washington Post. You've written for the New York Times. You've written a novel. What drew you to a story like this? 
Um, well, I've written for Health Affairs several times, and the the Leading to Health series again has been one that I've really enjoyed because it takes a chance, it gives me a chance to do a deep dive into a healthcare system, and by putting it out to Health Affairs audience, which again are people who tend to follow these either changes or trends in public health with a great interest, it can be really effective. You can sort of show a program that's working, what their hurdles have been, why it works, why the directors think it work works. And then people who read this can then get an idea of this might be something for them. I mean, I hope so, an organization, a state who reads this article thinks, you know, we're trying to do something similar. I should call VCHIV and ask them. I should reach out to them because it's not always very clear what other organizations are doing. And it's also not very clear what's working and what's not. I will say, um, I knew that the Leading to Health series was looking for more stories about children's health. And I was doing some research on children's health. I was impressed by Vermont's very high rates of immunization and insurance coverage. And I, of course, had to pause and say, why is that? I mean, whenever you see an outlier in anything for healthcare, whether it's up or down, you sort of have to wonder what makes it there. And again, I think it really goes back to this very high Medicaid eligibility. When you tell the citizens of your state that you believe all children are going to have health coverage, it's going to change the way the entire health system reacts to seeing children as patients. And I think that alone made it fascinating to delve into Vermont. And again, I was pretty happy with the way the story came out. That sounds a little bit like being a reporter. How does this differ from writing for a newspaper? It doesn't differ too much. Um, certainly for health affairs, the stories are longer. It, they take a little bit longer time. And they are read by a more niche audience. I mean, when you write for something like the Washington Post, the New York Times, you're writing for a uh, consumer audience. You don't versus in health affairs, you expect people to have a better understanding of some of these health terms you know that, that you put out there. You don't have to explain them as much. I mean, there's not much in my article that explains what an improvement program is. Versus if I were writing for a wider audience, I might have to go into more details as to why that would be something a state would be interested in. Um, you know, normally with these stories of health affairs, I've been able to go to the location and actually do reporting on the ground, which is very valuable. And because of the timing of the story, um, we weren't able to do that. And even though I was really interested to learn about VCHIP, I do think when you're there on the ground, you know, and I've been to a few places now for health affairs and I've gotten to see um, how these systems work up close and personal, it makes a significant difference. So. Um, I would advise anyone who's looking to report these kind of detailed stories to be able to go there. And again, these are really extenuating circumstances with COVID, and I don't know how long such restrictions will be in place. And of course, this, it's better to report this way, but it's much different to sit and meet in person with people who are running these programs as opposed to doing it over Zoom. You know, when I think about stories, whether they're in the broader press or a more niche journal like ours, there's typically a focus on innovation. People want to look at something new. You certainly came to this because you saw interesting results in Vermont. But a lot of what's in your article is about spreading innovation, which is generally not as exciting. It's about systems and infrastructure and funding. It's not shiny and new. How do you think we can keep the focus on innovation so things don't just happen in one place, but they spread and reach their potential? That's a really interesting observation. And I think I think you're right. And some of that does speak to the audience of health affairs that 
you know, just saying a pediatric network works great isn't really new, but saying how it was set up and what the hurdles have been and where the effort needs to go and where the pain points are, that's really interesting. I, I, it's, it's not new information that we know getting children to a pediatrician with a trusted relationship and going frequently or going on sort of a schedule is produces good outcomes for children. Like I, I think at this point, anybody who studies healthcare would be um, you know, remiss to even question that idea. However, it is a big question is how do you get that relationship to be strong? How do you get parents to trust their provider? How do you get providers to see kids frequently? How do you get providers to have access to the most important information and recommendations with it and as they change, especially with something like COVID, which does change things pretty quickly. And some of the best practices on COVID have evolved even in the few months we've been here. And that's expected with a new virus, but there's other aspects where you're seeing um, recommendations evolve. So that is why I think the nuts and bolts aspect of how these programs work is interesting in this type of article, because that's where people are going to want to see the pull back the curtain and sort of see what's there. Um, it, the innovation piece for this, like you know, maybe for like a story for a broader audience, like maybe that would be something like, oh, look, you know, pediatrics has discovered that children who have well visits every year and opt in immunizations have better incidences of, you know, um, healthcare or education, like they I mean, poverty, all of these things that have been tied to healthcare. They can show that this access to healthcare provides good outcomes for children. So that isn't really new of an innovation. It might be worth a story in a major publication if there's a new study on it. But the reality is for people who are really living this every day, they want to know more about what happens when you pull back the curtain. You were talking about trust, say, among parents and pediatricians, which is probably a place where trust is pretty high. When I listen to the story in Vermont, you talk about expansive coverage. One place that trust often isn't so great, at least at the outset, is between physicians and the government. If you're going to work together, there has to be a base of trust. And if you have public coverage for most kids and they're getting their care in individual private pediatricians' offices, you need trust between those private offices and the government. Alabama doesn't have as expansive coverage, but it's a lower income state, so Medicaid plays a pretty significant role. There's a lot of government insurance in Alabama, but it's, it doesn't dominate the way it does in Vermont. Did you see anything about government and trust between the pediatric community and government that's a lesson from Vermont that could be translated to Alabama or other places? Some of it here was that the people VCHIP used to send out to these offices initially were pediatricians with strong ties there who had come who were, they were from Vermont or they'd been in Vermont, they'd been practicing, they'd been connected to different aspects of the state. So when they went to this pediatric office, the, the idea of a shiny government official showing up and telling them what to do, that wasn't the attitude at all. This is what I heard from both sides, the people who had been visited by doctors, people who had come in to sort of done, done the recruiting. And I would think that in a, you know, any sort of, anybody who wants to sort of set up a meeting with any sort of, um, thought as to what might be most effective would probably come in with that sort of humility. But VCHIP talked multiple times in multiple interviews about how this was a priority for them. And I do think that some of the reason these improvement networks start in smaller states is because it's easier to demonstrate that they, these people who are coming from the state capital or the state medical school or some sort of state-run center and visiting these offices are more closely connected to you. And we saw the same thing in Delaware too. When we were when 
They were trying to create a network connected to Nemours, the children's hospital there. They would have to go up and down the state. But Delaware is a small state. You're not that far from one another. And I think in a state like California, those challenges are going to be very, very different because you might see more of that divide you're talking about. And maybe that's where the regional approaches make more sense. But in a place like Vermont, they were able to do that and they made it work. And were they able to bring that knowledge to Alabama? That is a good question. Um, HE is only a few years old, so I am not sure how well they've done in terms of meeting their goals. It's quite possible that they um, are very happy with where things are. And I'm not sure how much the state necessarily, like from the governor's office, is connected to their efforts. That would be a very different story, possibly worth looking at, sort of as a you know comparison in terms of how a new improvement partnership will get off the ground. But the fact that they're doing this, the fact that they're sort of trying to make a push for metrics and pediatrics and show these results could be improved in different parts of the state, that itself is commendable. And again, even though the savings connected to better children's health wind up being long-term, they're still there. So the work they do now will pay off later. It just might not pay off in this particular moment in time where people like to see the results reported right away. What policy implications stood out to you from reporting this story? The biggest policy from this story that stood out that I did not spend a lot of time addressing, but I thought made it was very telling was, again, the, num- the percentage of children covered by state Medicaid and therefore this very high insured population for Vermont for children. That, that was, again, what led me to the story. And VCHIP is sort of able to work hand in hand with, the, you know, this is like this is the wind in their sails that allows this population for whom they can get, it's easy, it's one thing to get them to a doctor. It's another thing to get them to the doctor when the visit isn't paid for or covered. And that changes the entire lens in which you can view children's health. So that's one aspect. However, this story wasn't about children's insurance. It was about an improvement partnership you could do um, that you, a, a state could take on. Um, so from that like broader perspective, I think some of the policy implications here would be the advantage of working, of creating these partnerships with one another in the state to connect providers. And you see that happens when there's a crisis like COVID-19, that they're able to easily get in touch with one another. They're able to easily set up calls that people don't feel isolated or lacking the most up-to-date information. Um, I have heard of other places where that's not been the case, and it's been really frustrating for um, offices, especially as, again, the best practices and recommendations have changed very quickly. But in general, Vermont felt, when I did the reporting of this article, Vermont felt they were in a very strong position because they were able to communicate very actively with all the pediatric providers in their state at the drop of a hat. What do you think makes a recipe for success? Why did Vermont feel they had a good foundation for this? A key piece here is a strong state medical school. I don't think they could do this without the University of Vermont Medical School. I don't think they would pretend to even say that. I think that the the strong state medical school producing a strong crop of doctors, and they can have these doctors lead these projects through VCHIP. They're able to. Um, there is something. There's some aspect of these. There's um, physicians who are on salary through the medical school can take on a VCHIP project as part of their salaried work. Like that's pretty significant, and. Um, Judy Shaw talks about how she was able to use the Medicaid administrative match so that when they did have like a program and they wanted physicians to attend, they could be reimbursed for their time because physicians are often fee for service. And so they need to be paid if they're spending their time doing something that isn't billable typically. So 
those aspects, I wouldn't necessarily call them policy changes, but these were two really important pieces that sort of serve as the undercurrent for better practices that lead to better outcomes. The better outcomes are there and the better practices they've been able to do. But the key ingredients, as we've talked about, whether it's the insurance rate, the medical school, or the trust, those are harder to, certainly the medical school and the trust are harder to measure. The insurance rate's a bit easier. But those would be some of the policy things that I think will drive programs like this forward. Well, that's a good place to wrap up. What a great and important story. Rebecca, thanks so much for coming on the program. Of course. Well, thank you so much for setting this up and for taking the time to focus on programs like this. I always enjoy being able to talk about it or write about it. So thanks again. A Health Policy is produced by Health Affairs, the leading journal for health policy research. Jeff Byers produces the show under the direction of Patty Sweet. Brian Dobbs edits the show. Sue Ducat and Sarah Kolk help dot the I's and cross the T's with scheduling. Julia Vavelo produced the artwork. Music by Brian Dobbs and Julia Vavelo. Like the show? Subscribe to A Health Policy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And please leave us a review. It helps others find the show. Thanks for listening and have a great morning, day, or evening.